I'm Brandon Amoroso, and this is the D2Z Podcast, building and growing your business from a Gen Z perspective. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to D2Z, a podcast about using the Gen Z mindset to grow your business. I'm Gen Z entrepreneur Brandon Amoroso, founder and CEO of Ecom agency Electric Marketing. Today, I'm talking with Shrey Yossi, CEO and founder of Good Peeps, a digital marketing agency focused on brands that are both online and in-store. Shrey has been a good friend of mine for the last couple of years and has really been a helpful guide in the e-commerce industry. So I'm really excited to have him on the, the podcast today. Shrey, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. So let's give everybody a quick rundown of how you got to where you are today, because you have a fascinating backstory that I can't explain very well because it's a little bit above my head. So why don't we start there and we can we can go from there. Yeah, so I grew up in San Diego, uh, the home of every single cool, new, trendy food and beverage product <laughs> growing up. So like going to every single grocery store just like was one of the few people that would just aisle shop and like that was my form of like therapy growing up. And, you know, when I ended up going out to university, um, wanted to study psychology and nutrition uh, just because I like loved the topic and kind of the, the category so much. Uh, but that very quickly transitioned into me studying kind of biochemistry uh, mixed with nutrition. So really got like deep on, you know, all the chemicals, all the compounds that everybody was like putting into your foods and the foods that we were kind of digesting and what that actually did to kind of your body. And so when I was doing all of my kind of, uh, you know, undergrad and grad research, ended up actually working um, for an awesome researcher that was studying a lot of the effects of different foods that you eat and the inflammation that that would cause to your body. Um, and so, you know, as we were kind of just like nerding out on this over a couple of years, he ended up introducing me to uh, one of the guys at GNC. And so that was kind of my first introduction into the CPG market where uh, was helping them with, you know, some of their sales, you know, some of their marketing, as well as some of their communications, uh, making sure that everything was kind of, you know, in compliance and, you know, legit with, you know, uh, how we would kind of relay the benefits of these compounds that we were throwing into, you know, your pre-workouts, your proteins, all of that stuff, um, and how that actually affect your body. And, you know, then teaching sales guys, you know, how to actually then, you know, cater that messaging to specific types of audiences that would walk in. And then also mm -hmm. how to then market uh, the product just in general from, you know, let's call it like a POS or kind of any print. And so from there, um, you know, like every 21 year old wanted to go to New York, just had a bunch of friends that were living out there. And at the exact same time, I was obsessed with uh, matcha back in the day before it became like cool and trendy like it is now, just because I was a biochem major drinking a shit ton of coffee and ended up applying to a company called Chacha Matcha, ended up joining that team, helped them on the marketing and digital front, then ended up at another company called Nugs, helped them with the growth in the marketing side. And then um, was at HealthAid, helping them with digital and growth. But now have my own agency called Good Peeps. And so we work with CPG brands to help them both win in retail and online. Because, you know, just all the background that we've had as a team, we really do good work from a branding, from a content and creative perspective, as well as, you know, performance marketing. How important is it to have both the retail and online presence all at once? Or is there a world in which you start with one and then move into the other? Or how do you approach that with your with your new brands that you're working with? 
It's like super category and product dependent. That's like the worst answer to give anyone ever. <laughs> but I think when you're a, a retail product, meaning like you're something that has like a high consumption frequency, it's a food or a beverage product, 85% of those purchases are still happening in the store. And so, you know, you can obviously use digital as a way to really like, you know, scale, do some really awesome marketing, get a lot of attention and look way bigger than you actually are um, online than you are, you know, offline. And then that's a really good catalyst to get you awesome unit velocities, additional secondary place point, uh, you know, placements and all of that stuff um, to kind of win in retail. And that's how you really do become, you know, kind of one of those billion dollar companies. But if you're a, you know, a customized, uh, let's call it blanket product that you're shipping to your kids with like a, a note from somebody's mom, that's an actual business. It's doing nine figures. Um, you don't need to be in retail, right? You, you actually need to focus on D2C, on digital. I, so I think it's, just, it's very case dependent and kind of how you want to scale that business out. But mm -hmm. for us, for our clients that are a little bit heavier in the CPG side, uh, we do actually push on our brands to number one, really crush it on digital, but then number two, really start to get some of that retail distribution to kind of clog up some of the leaky buckets in terms of, you know, you have a bunch of consumers that are going to go and buy off of the website, but you'll probably have an equal amount of people going and buying in store after seeing your kind of performance creative or your marketing or your social. What drives the retail adoption, like for the retailers? How, how do brands build up that demand? Is it the content? Is it the sales velocity that they can showcase from their Shopify store? What really moves the needle there? Yeah, so I think that it depends on where you are. I, yeah, I'm, I keep giving you that it depends, but I think it depends on a couple of things. Number one, a really strong way of kind of showing uh, retailers that you're ready to kind of hop in is obviously like awesome repeat rates, awesome kind of LTV and like a pretty efficient CAC that you're kind of scaling up pretty quickly. And you can kind of show that you're winning in kind of local markets. You know, a lot of these brands are trying to focus on getting into these LA markets and New York markets. And just by kind of, you know, trade, Facebook, IG, TikTok, they do a really good job of kind of just naturally putting your spend there because everybody's buying there. So it, it does a good job of validating that there is product market fit and for them to expand, they need to get into said market to continue to scale that. Um, but there are other ways of being able to use digital to win in retail, meaning like companies like, um, you know, there, there are a couple of companies that our friends have run that don't actually build out D2C, but build out a really strong community, like really strong social presence, really strong kind of activation presence. They have some cool partnerships, some cool celebrity, and they started to build this kind of group of like, you know, hardcore loyalists online before they ever walk into, you know, into stores. And so that kind of following is also another leverage point that you can use to really mm -hmm. talk to retailers about, you know, help us get into these stores. We have a bunch of people that are literally just begging for our product, you know, get us in. So you'll actually see that a lot of these, you know, let's call them discovery channels like, uh, you know, the targets, the go puffs, all of those guys, as well as like the natural channels, the whole foods, the, the sprouts, you know, people like that, they're actually looking for brands that yes, have a D to C presence. And, you know, that's a huge category for them, but they also take on a bunch of brands that just have an awesome social following that really focuses on uh, being culturally relevant. Got it. That makes sense. How, how much of that content because I've been seeing more and more, like a lot of these CPG brands are super 
founder focused in that half the content is the founder doing X or doing Y or some sort of personal anecdote around why they created the brand to begin with. Is that almost a requirement now to start a CPG brand? Because it kind of feels like it. I think that if you have a really good story to tell, tell it. If you don't, don't force it. I think that there are a lot of brands, especially in the kind of like Asian American space, um, that have these awesome stories about, you know, find, like finding companies that really connected with who they were as an individual and kind of seeing that a bunch of their friends were looking for certain products in that certain category. So that story makes a lot of sense. Uh, but if you're like a, a finance backed, I saw, you know, a white space in the, in the market, you don't, you don't really want to be talking about that. I think that's where you can kind of lean on your more like general brand marketing and, you know, a lot of your more like product focused marketing and UGC to really sell into, you know, the, the digital space. But the whole kind of, you know, reason that I think that a lot of that founder based content works is selling a CPG product is, is the simplest thing. Uh, you talk about how it tastes, you talk about how it makes you feel and you use people to talk about those two experiences. And so having the founder and having that kind of direct connection between like, here's why I started it. Here's why I love it. I think it's like an awesome first touch point, but yeah, you are seeing it definitely pop up a lot more than before. Yeah. I mean, I think it helps a lot with the authenticity of the brand, um, which is something that we try to work with on all the, all the companies that we partner with. And it's especially challenging when you're working with uh, like celebrity brands because people are starting to see more and more through that layer, that thin veil of authenticity that it maybe is just a licensing deal. And so like, how do you, how do you provide authenticity there? Um, you've sh but you've seen some really awesome influencer brands pop up. Like um, I think it's the guy from stranger things launching like TBH or like Emma Chamberlain launching Chamberlain coffee. You know, these are influencers yeah. that, have been integrating this into their content for so long that like it's always almost been like a why don't you have one of these products so when those yeah. come out that's been you know killer. yeah i mean when there's actual buy-in from the celebrity uh, and it's not just like oh well you know we need another thousandth coffee brand why don't we just go find some celebrity who has had a starbucks uh frappuccino before so there's that side of the of, of the equation but we're working with a company um like to launch a bunch of TikTok brands this year, which I'm really excited for because those are native, like native influencers or creators where they're only famous because of their content on TikTok versus celebrities where like they're famous for being in movies or whatever. And then you try to push, put them into this influencer role. So they're not as comfortable with the content creation. They don't necessarily have actually as well of a fan base on that platform as the, like the digitally native creators do. Um, so that'll be, that'll be interesting to see how that pans out. I think that'll do very well. I think what's cool about TikTok is that TikTok as a platform does such a good job at building niche audiences, meaning that like you could be following somebody that has 11 million followers and they're showing up on your for you page. And I could never see anything from that person ever. Um, but TikTok has found the algorithm and found every single person that could possibly enjoy that category. And mm -hmm. you find that these people that have these massive followings also have 10, 20, 30, 40% engagement, um, meaning that the algorithm is just so good at getting like a, a really authentic audience where 
if you saw somebody with 10 million followers getting about 0.2% engagement, 0.4% on Insta, you'd be like kind of happy with that. So I think that TikTok as just building niche audiences, I think is going to do an awesome job at um, like converting on e-com. Yeah. So for TikTok, is that where most of your media spend is going now for your clients? Or what are the platforms that you've pivoted to after the, the iOS updates? Or yeah. are you still spending a ton on Facebook? I think that when it comes to building the best organic presence, TikTok is the best for that. Meaning product seeding, influencer integrations, um, uh, like collab posts, anything like that. There's still a lot of space for us to get really cheap CPMs. You know, we're, we're talking about $3 less CPMs on the organic front. So we actually haven't been pushing too much on the paid side because right now the algorithm still hasn't done a really good job at like converting individuals. Uh, but it does an awesome job at, you know, finding organic content and pushing it to the right audience. So our goal is like very similar to, you know, how you see these like really massive, uh, you know, trends like chlorophyll, you know, drops and stuff like that. Our mm -hmm. focus is like getting a bunch of niche audiences and influencers to talk about something to drive that buzz. The whole TikTok, the TikTok made me buy it situation where you saw something that like three of your favorite influencers just kind of posted uh, you end up just buying it that way versus getting pushed with the TikTok ads because they still just really feel like ads and they feel like kind of like breaks in your um, in your kind of like, you know, everlasting scrolling experience. And mm -hmm. so we focused, you know, our strategies on that side, whereas Facebook IG, when it comes to the actual ads platform, I think is still, you know, beating everybody in terms of targetability, audiences, um, as well as like ROI. Got it. And when it comes to sourcing those influencers for, TikTok yeah. are using like a creator management platform or these pre-existing relationships. How do you go about that? And then also scale it. Cause I'm assuming yeah. that you need not, you, you don't need three influencers. You need 50, you need hundreds, you need yeah. a ton to be able to make it worth the, the investment. So a lot of people don't actually think about um, the other utilities that TikTok has, but TikTok is a, fucking stellar search platform. Like TikTok from the hashtags perspective, as well as their kind of accounts, you're, mm -hmm. you're most of the time you're spending your time in the for you page, um, but the actual algorithm in itself from a search perspective is awesome. Like you have all the engagement data points, you have all the hashtag data points, you have all the trends and all the music. And so for us, like we simply just go and start DMing people. So, you know, we have a couple of people on either our team or some other people's teams uh, going and searching hashtags, very like old school IG, but it works extremely well. Certain categories, certain hashtags, um, and just DMing everybody that has the highest share content. So we don't necessarily go for likes. We don't necessarily go for comments. Those are, you know, obviously two huge indicators, but if somebody's making stuff that's super shareable, that's where we'll go reach in, you know, to their DMs, just, you know, go find them on Instagram. Most of the time they actually don't have a huge Instagram following. So you can actually just, you know, reach out to them there and oftentimes they just end up responding. So that's how we've kind of done it. And it, it scales because it, it's so simple right now. And are you doing like commission-based? Are you paying flat fees or how do you typically mix. structure that? Yeah, so we, some, you know, some influencers who, you know, have like a massive following will start with the commission and then go into this kind of rev share. Um, but for, you know, some of our micro and macro influencers, we structure it where we do a baseline. And if it starts performing, 
then they have all the upside in terms of how much we can scale it up from a rev share perspective. Because if that piece of creative is really crushing it, we'll pay them on the CPM and performance basis, but then we'll probably end up taking that and add and using it for Facebook and IG. And so we'll, we'll also do a rev share model on that front. Yeah, I bet that content, you can utilize it everywhere. Like the website, email, text, it, it goes beyond just the immediate impact that it has from the influencer posting it. Yeah. Exactly. So I know you, how long ago did you, like you just started the agency, correct? Because you are just recently <laughs> leaving Elevate, right? Yeah, exactly. Good peeps is a couple months old there. So then how have you gone about building that founding team? And yeah. how do you think about scaling that, that organization? And like, what do you look for when you're building out that, that first group of, of people? Very similar to how I built my career when I was on the brand side. Everything that I ever did was through referrals. Uh, you know, like cold outreach is, you know, obviously has its utility, but it's just super inefficient in terms of being able to go and find talent that, you know, you can really like trust and that like have similar, let's call it um, morals and values to you. So like in the easiest capacity, Twitter, texting your friends in group chats, texting your, you know, friends on LinkedIn, emailing some mm -hmm. of your friends. That's how we've just built the team out, which is like, hey, you know who I am. Here's what I'm looking for. And here's what I'm trying to build. Do you know anybody that might, you know, fit that, uh, that world for me? And that's where we've like founded all of our, you know, like all of our hires up until this point is just friends and family and, and homies, other Got people, it. essentially. Got it. I like that. That's yeah. awesome. Where, I mean, I, I feel like at some point you'll run into the referral well running dry and then that'll, that'll, that'll be interesting because we ran into that where we got like the first 25 people through referrals yeah. and then like we just ran out and we had to move and transition into like LinkedIn job posts and a bunch of other channels and it's just way more difficult than, than the referrals. <laughs> That's where I'll come to you when we get to that point to get some advice. But right now I'm going to keep rolling with the referrals. Oh, I have lots of terrible interview stories that I can tell you about um, and learnings from that whole process. Awesome. <laughs> so being on both the brand side and then on, on the agency side, what are some of the key like differences of your of your day-to-day -day, aside from the fact that as opposed to working on one company you're working on 10 or 15 what sort of skill sets are required for being in-house versus being on this side of the of the table i think just you know in agency you're doing a different style of context switching i think when you're on the brand side the big thing for you is that even these startups or mid-sized brands you're working on one brand, but you're wearing many hats within that brand. Meaning you're doing email strategy one minute, SMS strategy, organic strategy, brand strategy, and you're kind of touching every single part of the, the company in like a pretty awesome and deep way. And then from the agency side for our internal peeps, you know, they are focusing on you know, uh, one to maybe two categories, but then their context switching is the different brand expressions, right? Because the way that you'll you'll talk about and think about building a wine brand is completely different than let's call it like a chocolate bar company. And so that that's kind of where you know some of our our day-to-day is being spent on is like how do we get more efficient on that context switching and being able to go really deep with those guys? But 
from my perspective, it is, um, you know, focusing on total, you know, kind of brand positioning and performance positioning for all these companies. So I actually know that I'm not good at like spending an hour on things. So I will actually block out hours and days to focus on like mm -hmm. one or two, you know, projects at a time. And it lets us go much deeper with each of those. And like the quality of the work has just become like way better that way. Yeah, that sounds really valuable. I think that's probably the biggest challenge I've had and, and still have is just running around doing a thousand different things. And so you understand a ton and have a bunch of exposure to a variety of concepts, but you don't necessarily get to go as deep as you want to. Like I can say almost with certainty that I've never gotten to build a Clavio account in the way that I would fully want to because of that agency client relationship. And it like, I can't just go and do what I want to do. Um, which is always what's interested me a little bit about like being on the brand side is that you would have that autonomy and sort of complete ownership of what that customer experience looks like. Exactly. Um, but then I'd have to deal with the supply chain and getting the products and a whole bunch of other shit that I am not, not going to be doing. So um, maybe I'll have to tap into your referral network to see if you've got any product people that want to let me build out my own uh, customer experience. So we have a good amount of those guys. <laughs> so um, one last question before, before we jump here. If there were any sort of tips or tricks that you would be giving to CPG brands in 2022, um, especially given like the Facebook acquisition funnel that a lot of them were reliant on dying out a little bit, what are some pieces of advice or suggestions that you'd give? Stop copying every single other brand. I, I think that <laughs> every, every brand right now is going through this, like trying like, a real test of like, do what you stand for, the story that you're trying to tell and the way that you're going about it, does it actually connect and resonate with consumers? And the moment that like social performance doesn't work for like three days, all of a sudden, like every brand becomes, you know, a copycat of another brand because that brand is having, you know, really great engagement right now. Um, and I think that this is kind of like short-sighted, you know, storytelling that people or brands that are doing are really disservicing them as we get into this more authentic, organic, content-driven space. I think that brand should really figure out, you know, the things that they want to talk about all the time and really figure out how they can best tell those stories versus just going to mood boards and inspo boards and then essentially one-for-one one copying them and then just changing up the design and the copy um, on, the, on those posts. So I would say that's the biggest thing. Like if you're a brand and not a product, if you're a product focus on, you know, scaling that up, but if you're a brand, get really good at authentic, unique, organic storytelling. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think that goes more towards that long-term strategy than being so ingrained in the day-to-day -day tactics of like, oh, let's try and optimize this piece of creative based off of what we saw another brand do that worked well. And um, right. if you get too bogged down in that, you probably lose sight of your, your long-term vision for, for where you want to go. Exactly. Well, hey, this is awesome. Thanks for coming on. We'll have to do another one um, at the at the tail end of this year. Where can folks find you online? Yeah, so we are on thepeeps.co. So, you know, T-H-E-P-E-E-P-S dot C-O. And then you could also find, you know, me. I just sound like a, my dad. You can find me on like, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter, Instagram. 
um, you know, I'll, I'll drop those links. No TikTok? Uh, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, as always, this is Brandon Amoroso. You can find me at brandonamoroso.com or electricmarketing.com. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll, we'll see you next time. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you.